You're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Thank you. Thank you for welcome, for joining the show. What a beautiful audience. Yes. Yes. Keep clapping. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Clap if you believe. Clap if you believe. How would we know if you believe if you don't keep clapping? Welcome to My Fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. What a blessing it is to have you here with me on this very special episode, this Masters of Debate episode of My Fellow Americans. As always, My Fellow Americans is a Muddied Waters media production. Follow us on uh, Facebook, on the Muddied Waters of Freedom. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on YouTube. I think we're, we're on SoundCloud. I think we are on... What's the other one we're on? I think we're on iTunes. I don't know if we're on iTunes, but if we are, follow us there. Or you can follow us from any of those things on muddiedwatersoffreedom.com. You can see all previous episodes. You can, uh, it's pretty much everything. You can, you can do everything on there. Um, thank you, as always, to the blue, pure drinking water for the water that I drink on this and every episode of My Fellow Americans. Thank you so much. The intro and outro music that I use on this and every episode so far of My Fellow Americans is from the wonderful, talented Mr. Joe Davi, J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook. He's on Bandcamp. Buy all of his music. It's like, I think he's got 10 songs. It'll cost you like $9. Best nine bucks you ever spent. Joe Davi, uh, thank you for that. Shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him as always. Guys, this is, again, a very special episode of My Fellow Americans. This is the Masters of Debate 
Uh, I'm thinking of actually starting a Masters of Debate series, but we are we are we're starting it off with a uh, debate. It was going to be between three people, uh, but it's now going to be between two. Um, and so I'm looking forward to starting that. Uh, it's two uh, totally different types of libertarians that are going to debate the future of libertarianism. And uh, so without further ado, I am going to now welcome, please welcome to the show, the, he is the, I'm going to try to get all this right because he has quite a few titles. He is the, one of the, uh, he's a member of the uh, Libertarian Socialist Caucus. He is also a, um, he is the founder of the Libertarian Povertarian Caucus, and he is, uh, well, no, we're not mentioning that. Welcome to the show, uh, uh, Mike Shipley. And then also uh, uh, on the show is the uh, guy who set up liberta- the page Libertarian Memes for Neoliberal Teens. Please welcome to the show, uh, Sam Coppinger. 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 Thank you, guys. And again, we were going to be joined by Joshua Smith, but Joshua has been struck down in the height of his prime by illness. And so we're going to do a short moment of silence for Joshua Smith. than I expected it to. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm sure it was beautiful. It was amazing. When you guys hear it later, you're going to be amazed. Um, so, yeah, so unfortunately, Josh couldn't join us, um, but he's here in our hearts, and we uh, he's in our thoughts and prayers as well. Speedy healing for Josh. Hashtag Josh, Joshua Strong. And, um, okay, so guys, originally this was going to be <laughs> just to go over a couple of, uh, I guess, ground rules. Um, this isn't... Uh, this is a libertarian show, so uh, there aren't a lot of rules, but... Um, Basically, don't violate the nap. Uh, so no uh, hitting, no uh, threatens, threatening to kill each other. And um, pretty much that's it. Really, just don't assault each other. Um, hopefully, you're far enough away from each other where that's even a possibility. And uh, if, you know, because again, this is related to the Libertarian Party, if anyone does get naked, um, I will not be sharing uh, ad revenue with you. Um, so just to let you know that. Um, so basically, you know, originally we were going to have a little bit more of a structured debate, but because Joshua's here, Joshua's not here, I think we're going to do, have this more of a discussion. So I'm going to give each of you guys, um, a few minutes just to talk about, uh, your ideological beliefs, and then we'll kind of go into a discussion from there. Um, I'm going to be doing this in order of the, um, and this is completely arbitrary, the, uh, uh, alphabetical by first name. Uh, so I'm just going to start with Mike. Mike, if you want to just take a few minutes to talk about your, your brand of libertarianism and what that means to you. All right. Well, first of all, thank you for the fantastic introduction and that incredibly, um, touching tribute (laughs) to the, the flu ridden, 
disease bag named Joshua Smith. Oh, did I go there? <laughs> All right. Uh, but that's not my ideology. Uh, although. Okay, uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically in a nutshell, you've probably heard I'm, you know, some kind of like a full blown commie and like at any moment I'm going to like drive a tank down your front yard and like, you know, take your stuff and share it with everybody. Of course. And all of that is completely false. So, um, first of all, before I really answer, um, I just want to ask you to have another moment of silence. Just take a second, take those preconceptions, kind of take them out of your brain and put them over here. Cause that's not what we're saying, right? Because if we were saying that, then when you all say that's an oxymoron, you would be correct. Right. And hopefully by now you credit me with being rational enough to understand that if my ideology is an oxymoron, I'm not going to put hours and hours and hours and hours of time into, you know, advocating it. Right. So let's take this idea and put it aside. All right. So here's what libertarian socialism is. Um, <laughs> it's not an easy <laughs> question to answer. I'm going to start with the simplest idea possible, right? And this is shared by libertarians, I believe, across the board. It's the idea that every single human being on the planet has the same fundamental rights, right? So libertarian socialism is the idea of maximizing the equal liberty, which doesn't just mean that I theoretically have liberty, but that I'm also maximized in my opportunity to exercise my liberty, right? So I have maximum personal autonomy to kind of blossom into my, you know, my fabulous libertarian self, right? So Lack it's basically a world set free, exactly, around the concept of equal liberty. And then it's imagining what kinds of structures would best sort of embody a society that was built around that idea, so almost everything you're familiar with from traditional libertarianism is basically that. Um, the one kind of step beyond that is a little bit different about a libertarian socialist wor worldview is um, sort of how we organize our workplaces, right? So if you think about it, if you have a boss who decides – how you spend your productive time each day and your only choice is to either go to work in the morning or not and find another work to go to if that's your only choice but you're robbed of agency through all of the other eight or 10 or 12 hours or however many you work then that means that you are less economically free than you would be if you had agency over your productive time through the whole day right so I'll stop there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because we we have uh, an hour plus to, to flesh all this stuff out. So, okay, perfect. So thank you for that. Uh, Sam, if you want to, you have a few minutes. Uh, I'm not timing you, uh, and uh, obviously. And um, uh, uh, tell us about your brand of libertarianism, what, what your ideology means to you. Well, contrary to what a lot of people in the Facebook group seem to think, I am not left or socialist or communist or an SJW or anything like that in any way. Uh, I actually came from the considerably far right a bit. Uh, tribute to that that past year, the Reagan shirt. We uh, all see your Reagan shirt, yes. Mostly just to troll Mike. But uh, yeah, like as far as I can remember, uh, I've been what 
you know, now I would describe a capitalist. Um, when I was like four, my brother and I would sell apples that grew in our front lawn to our neighbors. Uh, I started selling stuff on like eBay and Craigslist when I was like 12. Um, I considered myself a Republican as early as I knew about politics at all. Uh, I've never been a Democrat in my life. Uh, toward the later half of my high school career, uh, I realized that being an edgy, contrarian, conservative doesn't really accomplish anything, and that's probably not good to brand yourself on what you are not, uh, and not just oppose anything that's popular. Uh, because at, the, at that time, of course, Obama was president, and so most of my peers, I live in the Seattle area, uh, we're all very liberal, so I, I had to be the contrarian and not be that. Right. But toward the later half of my high school career, I started delving kind of more into these libertarian beliefs. It frustrated me that Republicans supported such warmongering policy. I thought that was unnecessary and a waste of money and just didn't accomplish anything other than the death of people overseas. Um, I got irritated at how they did not support gay rights at all. I've, I never had any bigotry in that regard, really. More than the average American, anyway, I guess. I've definitely grown a lot since then. But uh, it just frustrated me how the Republican Party seemed to shut out anybody who wasn't a straight white man. And it just seemed like, at the time, to me, they were still the party of fiscal responsibility. So it seemed silly to me that, well, if you want to be fiscally responsible, you have to be anti-gay. So that just, they're just unnecessarily shutting people out of party. Those two things really started to eat away at me. So I started to consider myself more libertarian from that point on. And then in 2016, I supported Rand Paul at first in the primaries. And then when he dropped out, I supported Kasich because I thought he was, you know, a compassionate man. I, I still like Kasich, much to the chagrin of maybe many people online. Um, but so after Trump won the nomination, I saw that everything that I had tr been trying to tell myself the Republican Party did not represent homophobia, racism, you know, bigotry, xenophobia, that that clearly was the pinnacle of the Republican Party. That was actually what they had been wanting all along. When Trump was nominated, I completely cut all ties from the Republican Party. I no longer consider myself Republican whatsoever. I started looking into things online from that point, started supporting Gary Johnson, went to a rally for Gary Johnson, met Gary Johnson, uh, support him very strongly still. I wish he would have done a little bit better in that Senate race of his. Anyway, so that's kind of my past, just to dispel a lot of the rumors and misconceptions about myself that are very popular online based on what I usually post online. But so what I am today, I would say, ideologically, I'm just a very mainstream right libertarian uh, it's more about how I brand myself that's kind of given me more notoriety, positive or negative, online. Uh, I believe that the Libertarian Party should be very strongly uh, in favor. Uh, obviously, Mike agrees with this as well. It's kind of why I wish Josh was here. But I think the Libertarian Party should focus on issues where more people's liberty is aggressed upon than just straight white men's. That seems to be where the focus has been for a very long time. That seems to be what the kind of Ron Paul conservative brand is. And I try to branch out from that. So even though I agree 95% or more with most libertarians on actual policy, 
a lot online don't like me because I specifically focus on those issues that we do right. not agree on because I don't see the value in just you know circle jerking about how smart we are and how dumb everybody else is and just going over things that we all already agree on so I focus on the things that we do not agree on which gives me a bad reputation um of course well, the pragmatist thing and that's I I see good pursuit of liberty is not just the end goal of the well Mike is an anarchist he wants more liberty than me in a sense but the way that I see it is that you need to do what will actually maximize liberty in reality, not just as a utopian end goal. So you can want anarchy, but if you actually advocate for anarchy, you're probably not going to get it because people are going to be afraid of you. So I think that's why we need to pursue a pragmatic approach. Do things that will actually get us elected so that we can start moving the needle toward liberty and maybe one day get to the ideal society that all libertarians really want. Okay. Um, well, that sounds good. Thank you guys for for starting off with that. Um, I have we're gonna start off. I have um, just a few questions, and I, again, I might before it was more of a debate format where each person was gonna get certain fixed time. I'm just gonna kind of put questions out there and uh, and let you guys discuss it out. And if I feel the need to, uh, you know, uh, redirect it a little bit, I'll do that. But for the most part, we're just doing a discussion. Um, so let me see. So. Here's a here's a big one, and and I think because you're you're both active in the in the Libertarian Party, um, as you know, the Libertarian Party was created in 1971 with the goal of ending the cult of the omnipotent state. Um, that has that has not happened thus far. Um, there has been some success at local and regional elections, but the Libertarian Party has never actually won a federal election. Um, they're not really, even though they are considered the largest third party, that's really quite a, you know, a, a, a far third place to the main two parties. Um, what would you say, you know, if you want to name just a couple things off, what would you guys say needs to be done differently or, or better in order for the Libertarian Party to achieve actual electoral goals? And do you even think that's important? Whoever wants to start that, yeah, it's, yeah, whoever wants to start that can go. All right, I'll start talking. <laughs> so, and I'm just going to, the reason I feel compelled to like start talking is because my, um, my esteemed colleague, Sam, has thrown down a pragmatic gauntlet. So um, I want to <laughs> kind of push back the idea that anarchists are living in a utopian dream vision and um, don't have an idea of how to get there. Um, because I think this is a... Um, to back to answer your question, what the Libertarian can, Party can do. So uh, the reality is we live in a world that's infested with statism. Right. Everywhere in society, you see the idea that the government is the solution to every problem, right? You have the welfare state, you have the medical industrial complex, you have the surveillance state, you have the police state, you have the drug war, you have every, you know, every, every problem that, you, that they've got, you know, they want to nickel and dime you with another tax to pay for whatever, you know, it is that they think is going to fix it. And the public is sold on this idea, right? And so the reality is that political systems really are a life or death matter. Um, and it, it isn't just because the state is is granted the power of life or death under this error in reasoning that they can fix everything. Right. But also that the way we order our lives from day to day actually has everything to do with the quality of life that we experience. So here's where I'm going with this. 
I don't think libertarian candidates have done a good job of showing people why they should trust a world set free to solve the problems that are currently being solved by government. So, for example, um, actually, I'm not even going to give an example. I'm going to teach you about a, 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 an anarchist idea called prefiguration. And this is where we have fallen completely short because we have libertarian candidates getting up on stages and going, taxation is theft, right? And letting everyone imagine their fears into the space where the things funded by taxation goes. And the reality is no one's going to risk their life to turn it, you know, to trust, like take a leap of faith into a space where they can't even see what's going to catch them. Right. So prefiguration is the idea of building that new world in the shell of the world of the old. Right. So instead of just standing there and preaching about, you know, private charity, uh, a prefigurative solution to the welfare state means actually building the community, the mutual aid networks that are going to meet those needs. And it's not even like we just have to like theorize about them. There are really great examples, especially from like the 19th century before we had a giant welfare state in America right. of just these, these, the exactly these types of mutual aid networks being able to meet a variety of needs, including healthcare, food for people when they're in between economic crisis, those kinds of things. So um, I think that one of the best things we could do is, um, and maybe I think this has a lot to do with the idea that some of us, a lot of us even come from the Republican Party where is all the actually what the heck happens to poor people and you know actually just wanting to yank this the safety net and not even caring if people die like people can actually smell that right so instead of being like that like we should actually be um showing people what that looks like participating in building up those solutions so that the the ordinary person can understand that when i vote for a libertarian candidate i'm not just getting um you know dismantling the things that i trust i'm getting um i'm I'm able to see something else that I can trust more. Okay. So, but that was more of a, like a societal, uh, and I'm going to give Sam a, a chance to talk about it no, too, but that was more of like no. societal changes. No, that wasn't. That is directly linked to electoral success because human beings are not going to vote to abolish the structures that they currently rely upon. They could see something else they rely, they can rely on more. So then you're saying as actually as part of libertarian party strategy is to set up these types of things. I'm saying that they are inseparable because political institutions are built out of of social and cultural majorities. What manifests is what people believe in and what they're placing their trust in. So prefiguration is building that society within. And it's also allowing, because voters are, here's, there's only two things. Either the state can collapse and fall apart at a violent, like, you know, bloody, like, you know, sudden end. Right. And I'm not really excited about that because if that happens before, people are ready for anarchy, then all that's going to happen is, you know, some, you know, new despot is going to rise in their place. Right, right, right. right. So the other option is kind of like a controlled demolition of the state. So that can only happen when we scale down the state, when we scale down coercive institutions at the same time as we replace them with voluntary mutual aid 
things. So um, I'm not like I like, think the pragmatic narrative is that there's an either or, or that there's utopia or there's the state. And I'm saying that um, we have to do them both in tandem. And that is the most practical pathway to a world set free. Okay. And Sam, and by the way, feel free to jump in whenever, guys, like you don't have to wait for me to, to, to tell you anything. But Sam, what, so what would you say are the things that are most important to see the Libertarian Party get the successes that, that it hasn't seen in the past and present? Yeah. First, I just want to talk about what Mike was just talking about. Like that, that all sounds terrific. That sounds wonderful. I don't have any problem with any of that. I just don't. I, I kind of got the sense you were confused about this too, Spike, of how that what that has to do with the party or nominating candidates or running for offices. That just sounds like social activism, which is a wonderful thing to do. It's a wonderful compliment. It'll help build the libertarian brand in general. Like you said, build faith that society can exist without an omnipotent state. But I don't see where that connects with running candidates. Okay. So how would you run candidates? Okay. Um, well, the general strategy that I think that we need to take is as the, the biggest third party in America, we need to target the voters who are most upset with the existing paradigm of the, you know, Democrats and Republicans. Right. So for me, what I see there from the Democrat side, we should focus on real, you know, civil libertarians. This is a, maybe a portion of the voters who voted for Bernie. Not all of them. There's some Bernie voters who are absolutely terrible. There are some that are maybe even worse than some Trump voters. But there's a portion of the Bernie base who really liked the, you know, they're pro-LGBT rights, they're anti-crony capitalism, they want to cut corporate welfare, they're military non-interventionists, they don't like domestic spying by the NSA, they want criminal justice reform, they want to end the drug war, there's all these things that we agree with them on, and most of those they're not really getting from the Democratic Party, or if they are, it's only lip service, and then they'll go back to, you know, we want to raise taxes and have single payer healthcare and do all these other, you know, statist kind of things or pander to their, you know, white upper class base that they still have to appeal to. Right. So they'll usually let those civil libertarians, civil libertarian issues go by the wayside. And I think we can win them over if those are the issues that they actually prioritize. If it's just, you know, they, what they really want is third trimester abortion and single payer health care. But then, you know, they also don't like the NSA. That's probably not going to be a winner and we're probably not going to get them. But for those who actually do prioritize civil libertarian issues, there's a path to bring them to the Libertarian Party. On the other side, the Republicans, look at what we have in the Republican Party right now. We have the most authoritarian president probably in history, if taken within context of the time. You have him going back on every principle that the Republican Party has claimed to stand for, be it free trade, small government, uh, separation of powers, liberal democratic institutions. He represents the death of all of those things, and he has like 90% approval within the Republican Party. So the Republican Party is clearly not a place for people like, you know, maybe Jeff Flake, Ben Sass, Evan McMullen, Arnold Schwarzenegger. John Huntsman, those kinds of people who are anti-Trump, they're, you know, they're, they're broadly pro-immigrant, pro-free trade, want lower taxes, want smaller government. You know, they're not, of course, to the libertarian side yet, but they're unhappy with what they're seeing from the Republicans right now under Trump. And there's a lot of voters like that as well. You hear in the midterm elections, they talk about how Trump did badly in these suburban neighborhoods that have previously been Republican strongholds. They're unhappy with what they're seeing from this 
horrible tyrant of a president that we have right now, and they're looking for somewhere to go, and they're looking for somewhere that will stand for liberal democratic norms, free trade, pro-immigration, all those things that I just listed. So those are, I think, the two factions that we really try to bring in from either side to the Libertarian Party. And once we earn their vote once, once we show that on the issues that they really care about and prioritize, we show that we're better than either the Democrats or Republicans on those issues. Once they vote for us once, they'll have to defend that vote to people so often. You know, people will say, oh, well, you, of course, every, every single libertarian sort of by voting for this, you're voting for X guy that I don't like. You'll have to defend your your vote so many times and and you'll start to realize how much whichever party you came from, be it Democrats or Republicans, you'll start to realize how much they took your vote and your support for granted and you'll start to resent that. That I, I certainly did. Like I said, I used to be a Republican. I'm now not. I see people saying, well, you know, if you if you vote for a libertarian, then you're basically voting for the Democrat. I actually did vote for Democrats this time for the, you know, to put a check on the Trump administration. But regardless, they always say that if you, you know, what if you vote libertarian and you're you're abandoning us, you're you're siding with the enemy. People realize they've been taken for granted and they're not even getting what they want anyway. They'll start to resent that and build an identity around it. Build, you know, I voted libertarian. I I believe I did the right thing. I voted for my principles. I voted for what I wanted, not what the party told me to do. You know, screw you guys. I'm going to keep doing this. And they'll build a sense of identity around that. Once they do that, maybe they'll start to associate with other libertarians and adopt some more real libertarian principles, not just a few happenstance libertarian positions on a few issues. Okay. So, and then, so I guess the next question would be, and this is for, for both of you guys, to what degree, because the, the Libertarian Party, and obviously there are many different types of libertarianism, the Libertarian Party is founded on a, on a lot of principles that it was, in, in some ways, uh, it's been argued kind of a almost like a truce or, or, or an agreement to, to, you know, try to merge together two, two main camps at the time, which I guess were minarchists and various types of anarchists, um, which means that the, the, the platform, the libertarian platform, is a fairly radical platform. What degree, to what degree do you, either of you think, if at all, the Libertarian Party should, either in messaging or in policy, and you can you can differentiate on that, change its, or, or, or I guess, modify or, or moderate its, um, its you know, radical platform to appeal to a, a you know, to a, a greater group, or do you think it needs to do that at all? All Either right, I'll one go first. Yeah, go, whichever, guys. Okay, so um, the party platform used to actually be a lot more radical okay. uh, prior to 2006. Um, I actually wasn't in the party then, so um, I guess I kind of have the benefit of never having fallen in love with that platform. I became a um, – I'm sure I would have loved it had I been one then, right? Because um, when I look at some of the Zolda platforms, they really do kind of embody how I think about things party used to be more more to the center and, and less to the right as well so um a lot like its left half was more like strong but anyway i'm digressing from the fact that i came in the party in 2008 when it was the new like more moderate platform and like i'm able to print like there are ways that the the platform could be made more um less i'll put it this way like less wishy-washy and i think it could really like um, benefit from 
And I don't know whether this needs to necessarily be in the platform, but like I want to come back to that idea. And I really reject the idea that that is just social activism and we shouldn't talk about that. Our political lives and the way that we manifest a world set free, that is the solution. So if we're not talking about what actually is going to take the place of state sanctioned um, solutions, then we're completely failing to portray the vision. We're just telling you what we want to take away, but we're not telling you what we want to replace it with, right? But we're talking about the platform, right? Um, right. Um, and I want to touch back on something I heard. So I heard in Sam's entire answer, all I actually heard him say is that we're going to say libertarian stuff that appeals to Democrats and Republicans that aren't getting what they want. Okay, so to me, that just means lifting up the platform, not backing down from the idea that these ideas are supposedly scary. There are aspects of them that involve some risk, are asking people to place the trust in something they can't see, which are the processes that don't exist, at, right? Because the state has monopolized them, like healthcare, right. like uh mutual aid. Um, these are sectors, entire sectors that have been grabbed by the state and dominated and monopolized so that we can't see what's going to be there unless we build it or at least articulate what it looks like in such clarity that they could actually see it in their imagination and want it for themselves. And so all of those things were taken out of the platform. The platform used to, each plank used to have like four pieces that had, you know, and I, again, I wasn't around, so I'm just paraphrasing, but like problem, solution, transition, you know, like they had, they, they took some time in the platform to actually demonstrate what that might look like. And the pragmatic argument is that we were tying the hands of our candidates. We were forcing them to defend things that were scaring the voter and we had to take that out. And I think the effect of that is that we have left candidates in the field who, bless their hearts, are grassroots people just like us and portraying a vision of something that isn't there isn't easy. It is not easy. So we have left those candidates out there without a roadmap and maybe doing a clumsy job trying to imagine for themselves and then package that vision in a manner that doesn't frighten the voter. So I don't know if that ex answered your question exactly, but like, I really want to come back to that and put right. that in the pragmatic yeah. camp. You yeah, all are the ones that took that out of the platform. Let me jump in there then. Like a, a key difference that I think I'm seeing between myself and you or Josh or any other anarchist is that you guys are selling the ends up front. You're selling your, our utopian vision, which, you know, to a very large extent, I agree with you that it's the end goal, but you guys are selling an end goal. I'm selling the very first step to get there. That's what I think that our candidates should really be doing is keep our platform the way it is. They're very few changes that I want to make to the platform because I think the platform represents what our end vision really is, where we want to one day ideally end up. But we can't, I don't think that we should start with that. We shouldn't start with our end goal. We should start with that first step so that people aren't afraid and don't have to, you know, try to rock the boat about the, the first, you propose one tax cut, everybody loses their minds. You think that we're going to say, you know, oh, abolish 
Social Security, abolish Medicare, abolish Medicaid, abolish food stamps, abolish all these other things. Whatever vision you have that's going to be horrifying to people, even if you have this robust mutual aid that you can point to, I think that we need to start with the first step and move forward from there. You know, and another thing is that we're not electing a dictator or somebody who can just rewrite all of American policy overnight. We're electing a president who can steer the rudder maybe five degrees in either direction. We're not we, – we, we don't just – you know, an anarchist wins the presidency. We don't now have anarchy. We have somebody who can lead – who can steer the rudder toward anarchy as much as possible, which – would mean it's basically going to be the same if a full-blown anarchist wins, an, a minarchist, a pragmatist, or even somebody like Jeff Flake. You're going to have exactly the, the same outcomes there. Right. I'm sorry. I was just taken aback by the... Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just like I was saying, it's a, you can only change so much, so there's no reason to overshoot what we're aiming for in the first place and achieve nothing when we could just be taking that first step and actually changing people's lives. Cause right. It's that's another thing. I know I posted a meme about this the other day and you didn't really like it very much, Mike, that I was saying that hardcore social justice advocacy, like the real SJW kind of stuff, it scares people and therefore hinders the fight for social justice because you can say, you know, we shouldn't have to cater to people who are so, you know, who don't just naturally support the fight for social justice. But the truth of the matter is that centrists control the country and centrists are very fickle and can be scared very easily. So when we're really talking about people's lives on the line. We're talking about wh whether or not kids are going to be separated at the border. Then we need to you know, focus on ways that we can reduce that in the in the in reality, not just in theory. And we can't value catharsis over progress over measurable real progress we can't just say well this is what we want and these are our principles and look how principled we are and look how smart we are and look how look how wonderful our system would be if we could get there we have to actually get there and every step that we take is people's lives being saved all right let's pick up on that um because i feel like um since social justice issues are a primary interest of you um, because I need to kind of push back a little bit or maybe a lot on the idea that anybody has ever been set free by trying to take mini steps with their oppressor. So you know why I'm allowed to be out as a gay man on this podcast today, why I can say that online and not, you know, fear that I'm going to lose my job or that I'm going to, you know, lose that my landlord is going to kick me out um, or that I'm not going to be murdered the next time I go outside. Do you know why? That was not because of a sanitary cis white man in a suit, a cis white gay man that, you know, you know, cozied up to the Democratic establishment. That's because trans women of color picked up literal bricks and threw them at cops. It is because of a defiant act of direct action and not just that, but by following it by radical steps. And this was, it's almost easy to take this for granted in retrospect, but coming out of the closet was considered an incredibly radical thing to do at the time. You could lose your job. You could, you know, get kicked out of housing. Um, you would, you know, your family would disown you and, um, you know, you, you'd be the target of a hate crime. I mean, like so many awful things that, even I, as like someone who's like it plugged into these things, have a hard time naming them off the top of my heads. That right. is how driven into the darkness 
Um, like people, you know, ending their own lives early, like at super high rates, even more than now, right? All of this because of the existence of a closet. Coming out of the closet was considered an incredibly radical thing to do. And the people that did it first were anarchists. Like that, those ideas came out of radical queer spaces. The idea of telling mainstream society, I don't care how scared the fuck you are. I'm sorry, am I allowed to cuss on here? It's a libertarian show. I I don't cuss a lot, but if you guys do, it's okay. I'll try not to drop any more F-bombs. Who the gosh darn you are. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Do you know what happened? Eventually... The cis white gay man in, who and who could um, who were palatable to mainstream sensibilities were able to shame the you know nonconformists. So suddenly the pride parade, which is really about the principle that I should be able to walk down the street without apologizing to you for the fact that you're upset that I exist, right? That suddenly we had these mainstream sensibilities on our own pride boards, passing resolutions that like leathermen and trans women and dykes on bikes with their tops off and their breasts out could no longer ride in the pride parade because people like, like I'm I'm like spitting and pointing my finger at you. Like that's how upset I am that you would actually have the nerve 45, 50, however many years it is later to come on this show and tell us that appeasing mainstream sensibilities is what sets us free. I'll stop right there. Okay. <laughs> Sam, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? or No, I agree from a normative standpoint with everything that you're saying, that people should be able to do all of these things, but I I just don't see the truth in that this violent or shocking things that offend the sensibilities, as you put it. Okay, but do you see what happened? They sat in the beginning, and they said the end goal is, I want to be able to walk down the street exactly the way I am today. I'm going to package this as the concept of pride. And we're going to start having literal parades. And that's what they did. We're going to talk everybody into coming out of the closet so that your mom and your grandma and your boss and your landlord all have to find out that you depend on us, at least in part, to keep your economy running. And you literally, you know, had a family member or whatever, you know, somebody that you loved was already gay and you didn't even know that. And suddenly everybody's surrounded by gay people. And of course, the cultural conservatives are like freaking the fuck out. Right. But who cares? Right. So now, yeah, and I get it. We have this backlash and social justice warrior culture went off the rails and there's this tension now. Right. But the reason we're here is not because we tiptoed around them. If we had tiptoed around them, we wouldn't even have gotten. And I think the same lesson can apply in a broader sense to the way that we package and sell liberty. Yes, we have an end goal. Yes, the end goal is far away. But how am I going to get you to walk toward that end goal if I don't show you how beautiful it is? And since it doesn't exist, the, the only place that comes from is the imagination. I have to paint you that picture so that you want it, right? What and you are there steps beauty be- other people see as threatening, though. And again, I f- well, should, it doesn't help that it like, threatening, but it doesn't help that my colleagues like you are out there telling them they should be afraid of me for telling you about it. I don't say that. I don't say that people should be afraid of these things. I say that you said it on this are. podcast. No, I say that people are afraid of these things, not that they should be, they shouldn't be, but we have to take reality for what it is and work within the framework that we're given. And it, 
the reality is is that centrist America, with their conservative tendencies and fickle nature, when they get too scared, they withdraw like a, like an anemone. If you do anything to upset their sensibilities, they're going to go way off the rails. You know, we could have had the DOMA in response to the gay rights movement. Luckily, that didn't happen, but that very well could have happened because conservative America felt threatened and wanted to withdraw from this you know, this new movement that was arising, it, it was it was too much for them and they got too scared and they wanted to withdraw from it. And I think the same thing is going to happen with liberty if we have people, you know, out in the streets waving dildos around and... Uh, well, so when I... Yeah, but when I talked about prefiguration and building a new world in the, in, the, in the shell of the old, you told me that that had no place in liberty activism. You told me that that was completely I, I, detached... I, from whether libertarian candidates can ever win. I said I don't see what it has to do with the party as a political body. I said that there's an excellent place for it within the greater realm of libertarian activism. Okay, Not so we're, we're going to do – so radicals are going to do the hard work of building the new world, and then you're going to run for office on the backs of those solutions while you spend the whole time saying that we were making everybody afraid and that we had no place among you? How does that work? I don't want to run on the backs of those solutions. I want to run on moderate step-by-step -step solutions. No, you said people were afraid of the end goal, and I had already explained, well, we can present to them we, by starting to build those things so that they have something they can trust so they don't have to be afraid. That is the practical solution that I outlined in the beginning of this podcast. Yeah, I think that maybe don't even associate that with liberty necessarily. Make your charity or whatever assist people. But then that and is the liberty. In the party, the people in the suits in the party can point to that and say, look how wonderful this activism is, if they even want to do that at all. Because, like I said, we should do step by step solutions. We shouldn't have candidates who are out there saying, abolish Medicaid tomorrow. Prefiguration is step-by-step -step solutions okay so, so, okay so some of this sounds like a disagreement on how the voting public writ large like obviously we're all individuals but how as a body the the general public and more specifically the voting public so, responds to things let me give let me give you an example this happened in arizona so uh there was there's a uh, a mutual aid organization doing harm reduction in uh, um, among the population of addicts. So um, basically people that shoot up, right? So they had a needle exchange program. The needle exchange was actually illegal, right? Right. So for people to like the voter, the, and actually this came through the legislature, but the legislature was able to see, okay, this program is actually working, right? And, um, you know, like, don't get me started on the way mainstream politicians um, take advantage. In fact, this is kind of the same narrative. If, if a pragmatic libertarian were to suddenly be like, look, there's these needle exchanges. Now we can abolish this law and you should vote for me because I can abolish it because I'm the, I, you know, the light bringer. And really, it was these radical people out there breaking the law by exchanging needles with human beings, addicts, victims of the drug war. Sorry, I, I'm rambling, but do you see what I point? The point was that had to happen like that transition from... This needs to be illegal to protect people from dirty needles to, gee, that's not actually working and actually giving them clean needles is helping, right? It was a handoff, right? That, like, um, that reform, that abolition 
it, it came as a pair, right? And that's what I'm saying is that when we match those things up, we have a more practical, like we're doing an actual transition. Like we're actually taking responsibility, personal responsibility for what the solution looks like and not just telling you, oh, there is one and let's abolish this line. You know, even pragmatism, even like an increment comes off like that if you don't have the solution. Okay, so here's a question I have, and I'll, I'll ask Sam first. It's kind of the same question, but reconfigured for each of you. Sam, is it possible that that these two things are kind of necessary? That that um, there needs to be the 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 more radical side that is implementing things, even if people don't like it, and then the more pragmatic side that is, for lack of a better word, packaging that for maybe the more quote unquote polite society. Do you think that that's a necessary thing, or do you think it's better to just have just you know the the, the pragmatic end of that happening? Did I lose Sam? Oh no, I think I lost Sam. Sam? Oh. Oh no. Yeah, Darn. and it's on it's on Skype, so we actually lost Sam. Lost Sam. All right. Well, then you can't I will just add him. No, because he's well. Let me. Yeah, let me try. So while I'm asking, so I'll ask you that, and then I'll try to see if I can get Sam back on. So Mike, is it? Let me switch it over to where it's on you. Um, is it possible that it's? How did I rephrase? Okay. So is it possible that it may be necessary to have? both aspects of that, that you have both radicals that are doing, quote unquote, the work or doing the stuff, even in the face of maybe public opinion or, or you know, the, 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 the people in power and also have pragmatists that are trying to package that as something um, saleable, quote unquote, to the general public? Or do you think that the pragmatic end isn't necessary? No, I'm saying that they I am saying that they are both necessary and also that if we are demonstrating what those solutions look like, then we don't have to be so um, sort of, you know, wishy-washy about what we present to the public. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you, you know, because the public talked about it, a troll demo, right? So no one, you're not going to like go up there and be like, Oh, I vote, you know, there's not going to be like a strike everything. And you just abolish the whole, all of it. Like in one, like that's just not going to happen. Right. And if it did it, you know, okay. We got Sam Sam back. back. Yay. Sam's back. Okay, good. All right. Go ahead. Let's hear Sam's answer. We stop for some reason. Okay. So Sam, hopefully we aren't losing you again, which I think might be happening. Are you still there? My back. Now you're back, I think. Oh, no. Okay. So my question, um, I had asked Mike, um, I had actually asked you, but I lost you. So is it possible, and, and Mike had just kind of answered it, is it possible that we need both the, the pragmatic and radical things happening? Is it possible that we need both the people that are out there doing these things, even in the face of public opinion, to kind of maybe push the Overton window uh, towards that? towards what they're doing and also have the pragmatic end of people um, that are kind of, I guess, uh, packaging it in a more saleable package for the, the general public that may be put off by that? Or do you think that the radical end is not necessary and we just need the pragmatism? Within the party, I think we should just have the pragmatism. Within the activism in general, I could I could definitely see an argument for having the radicals. You kind of chase people down on one side and then catch them on the other, have the radicals pushing people here, and then have the, the prags ready to grab them, something like that. But within the party, I think running candidates who appear 
unprofessional in the eyes of how the general public conceives professionalism probably isn't a good idea and probably hurts the reputation of the party overall and therefore hurts our ability to further liberty. Okay. Um, so then I, here, here's a question I have, and it, and it, it I really don't even have to rephrase it because it's, it's for both of you. And we've touched on this a little bit, but let's say, okay, great. You, we have through whichever strategies we're using and we lost Sam again. Nope. So he's there. Um, through whatever strategies we're losing, we're using, um, you're getting people in the party. They're not necessarily philosophical conservatives. They're not, you know, or, uh, uh, libertarians. They're not people that are, you know, that are, you know, able to, to give, you know, uh, their, their ideological belief. They're drawn to the party because either they've seen what someone has done and that it might work, or they're just disgusted by their other options, whether it's Republican or Democrat. So they come in, they may have some libertarian ideas, but they're still statists. They still are, you know, married to the concept of, of the state. And so now you have them in, and let's say they do a little more research, and they're reading about the party, and they see what the party and what libertarianism really wants, whether it's libertarian socialism, you know, libertarian capitalism, whatever. It, they're all sort of, in many ways, at least while the state still exists, pushing for largely the same thing. And now they come to you and say, okay, I hear that your end goal is... For example, ending Social Security or, you know, ending, uh, you know, uh, state entitlements, not not necessarily ending helping people, but ending these things, ending Obamacare. And I and I get my you know health insurance through Obamacare, you know, e- ending, uh, you know, if if there's maybe more conservative leaning libertarian ending going out just br- very briefly. Oh, uh, yeah. So my the basic the basis of my question was we bring in libertarians various ways where you know however they came in they came in they're not necessarily hardcore libertarians they may still be oh, yeah. sort of you were saying if they hear about the end goal maybe that might you know frighten them or something like yeah, that. yeah well no my, so my question is so they're not actually you know philosophical libertarians and they're asking you sam okay, but I'm now reading that the Libertarian Party, that eventually they want to get rid of Social Security, they want to get rid of Medicaid, they want to get rid of Medicare, or they want to get rid of, you know, these things that I may still think the military is doing that are good. What is your answer to that? You know, if we are, let's say we've brought them in with a pragmatic approach, what is your, you know, what is your answer to when they ask about the end goals? Yeah, so first of all, we, you know, our candidates, if confronted with our end goals, which again, I still maintain people think will be, you know, scary, is they say, well, I'm not, you know, we're not going from here to there immediately. We, I would never imagine going from here to there without a process to ease the transition so that people don't lose critical services that they rely on or, you know, lose funds that they need to live or something like that. And then it would also be nice, and this is, you know, where I appreciate the kind of activism that Mike is talking about, is we could point to this and say, you know, ultimately these these people with mutual aid can accomplish many of the same things that we believe the state can do right now. And so it would, it would be about transition. We, we would say, yes, this is our end goal. And then maybe we could go a little bit more into the you know hard principles that I usually wouldn't advocate that our candidates talk about very much because most people don't vote on principles. They vote on what's best for their families and they vote on feelings and things like that. Right. But we would say, well, everything's going to be gradual. We're not, we're not, nobody's going to cut Nobody's going to get rid of Social Security overnight. We would phase it out over decades, probably 40, 50 years to phase out something like that. And even then we could, you know, propose some kind of transitionary new policies. It doesn't even, even if we're phasing something out, 
it doesn't have to be replaced with nothing immediately. It could be replaced with something that's simply better than what we have now, which would still aid the transition on to eventually, hopefully, nothing in most cases. Okay. And then, Mike, same question to you. How would you respond to someone saying, you know, I'm hearing that the Libertarian Party wants to replace, wants to get rid of these things that I may still think are, are important? So first of all, I think um, that question is loaded with the assumption that the end goal is abolishing those things. And I think this might come back to this narrow box we've placed around what counts as capital L libertarianism. And this really is kind of like it's a product of the idea that um, we should limit ourselves to the political. OK, well, the only thing we can do politically is abolish things. Right. Um but the end goal is not just to get rid of those laws. The end goal is beyond that. The end goal is to build something completely better. It's to liberate those functions from the state and to have those liberated functions be more trustworthy and more reliable and more ethical and less violent and less coercive. And, you know, and for all of us to have an experience that is more free. Right. So I think that we need to bring back the idea that it is okay to be in love with that vision, to be passionate about that vision, to infuse that vision with life when we speak, right? And then when the opposition says, okay, wow, you have literally blown away my vision of a totally violent, bloody world that is filled with prisons and death and, you know, um, cops showing up to protect you by murdering the person with the darkest skin in sight, right? You have totally blown that vision away by actually portraying something the public would rather have that they can actually believe is better for their family, right? And on top of that, I can see actual libertarians in the field, people that are colleagues of that politician that's telling me they're going to abolish that whatever that incremental solution is, that are actually working on that needle exchange program that you're telling me in theory exists if all you want to do is abolish the needle exchange ban, right? If you just, oh, my end goal is to get rid of the needle exchange ban. Okay, then what? Oh, well, look, right. there's a needle exchange program that has been saving lives for years, and one of them's already in prison because of you. Oh, my gosh. That actually just suddenly, I understand that I have an addict in my life who has an incurable condition because they got a dirty needle, right? Um, I'm, I should probably take a breath. So that's my answer. Um, we need to not like start backing away from the idea that the public is scared. I get it. They're indoctrinated. They're the product of a public education system designed to make them believe that the state is the only solution. And if you think that you could compete with that, with decades of indoctrination by pandering to the fears within the indoctrination then you've already lost. You're already letting the state shape the boundaries of that conversation. And so I'm saying presenting the final vision and then not being afraid to, um, you know, let the space between here and there be uncertain because ultimately we're not trying to central plan that. <clears throat> and there's really no easy way out of, of that reality. The old, like, I can't promise you exactly what the end goal looks like, but I can promise you it looks better than this. And hopefully, if we're persuasive enough and joyous enough and we can present it with enough you know, enthusiasm instead of you know, fear and 
doubt and, oh, you, you know, you're right. We should be scared. Let's just go a little. You know what I mean? I, I'm just going to stop talking. You get my point, right? I hope that I, answered I, the question. I would say I get your point. Sam, do you have anything you want to respond with? Yeah, I, just again, you're, I, I think another key difference is that you and most other libertarians seem to want to make people libertarian, then earn their vote. I want to do exactly the opposite. I want to earn the votes of non-libertarians to push for libertarian policy. Like, I don't want to, you know, sell people on some principled vision. I don't think that that's realistic for most people. Most people don't sit around and, like, think about theory and principles and their values and everything. Okay, how do you think we got infested with bordertarians and bigots? Because people are How do you think that happened? Because people are afraid and they, they it was, like it. No, it happened by chasing Republican voters instead of trying to convert them. Well, why were Republican voters feeling that way in the first place? Go read Lou Rockwell's article entitled For a New Paleo Libertarianism or whatever it's called out of Liberty Magazine in January of 1990. And you will see exactly. Republicans were feeling that way because left libertarians were winning the culture war. Queer people were actually getting set free and they were terrified. So paleo libertarians pandered to that fear. That is how that happened. No, certainly. I'm sure that I hope that you know that I'm no fan of Lou Rockwell or the paleo libertarian strategy. It's my primary enemy. It's what most most of my activism online is against. Okay, but it was also a manifestation of the pragmatic narrative. It's a, appealing to the worst evils of people, though. It's not appealing to them on libertarian grounds or, or you exactly. know, a more vision. That's but, the point. But, but like the things that I want to appeal to people on are where they actually are libertarian. Like I said, that LGBT rights, ending the drug war, free trade, lower taxes, things like that, that are within the libertarian sphere, as opposed to trying to appeal to people on issues where they are not libertarian in what's supposedly a libertarian way. Or, you know, I made a chart of, like, the overlap of why there's so much conversion from supposedly libertarian to alt-right. It's because, oh, the alt-right, you know, they want to abolish, or uh, they want to abolish the Civil Rights Act or something like that. Libertarians say, well, oh, you know, we could work with them because they want to do that. We want to do it because of, you know, freedom of association or whatever. Well, they just want to do it because they don't want brown people to be able to be served anywhere. But libertarians during the paleo strategy falsely saw them as allies in that regard, where they supported policies that in a certain framing could be considered libertarian, but certainly was not inspired by libertarian motivations in the people they were going for. Whereas the kind of issues that I'm going for are inspired by a libertarian worldview, even if the people holding them right now would never identify as libertarian. So here, here's, and this kind of goes to, to another, uh, another question. So I think both of you are realizing to some extent, there are going to be people joining. If the libertarian party is to become a successful party, you know, in the next election cycle or the next couple of election cycles, as opposed to, 20, 30 years from now after, you know, multiple social changes, that's going to necessarily mean that there are going to be people in it that aren't libertarian. And I'm not saying, you know, Nazis necessarily. I'm just saying there are going to be people in it that aren't fully libertarian. They're voting libertarian because 
whatever their hobby horse issues that made them not vote Republican or Democrat led them to the Libertarian Party. What is your, I guess, and, and you know, I brought up Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security, but I could have just as easily brought up you know, border control or, or you know, uh, uh, the military action or, or whatever, you know, when, when people are coming to you. And so I, I guess, and, and so this kind of speaks to more of a, a, a philosophical question. Most of us, it, it's not hard to convince someone that they should be free, um, right? So most people in both Democrat and Republican parties, they're t- constantly talking about freedom and people want to be free to do what they want to do. Do you think that it is even a... Um, a realistic thing to expect, let's say, a majority of voters to also sign up for the idea of other people also being free, including people that they, you know, are diametric- diametrically opposed to the way that they live their lives or what their value system is or whatever. Do you think that it's it's actually a feasible thing for a majority of voters to ever want everyone to be free, including people they disagree with? Or is it going to take this sort of messaging to convince them, well, you get to be free and and you know hoping that that they're okay with someone else being free do do you think that that can actually change okay let me jump in there uh first of all i do not think that we should even be trying to appeal to people who we should not be using the branding of liberty for me but not for thee or we should not be a party that is branding itself on self-interest or i want lower taxes i want to be able to smoke pot that is that is not the branding that we should be using it never should have been the branding that we should be using we should be building a base of people who are compassionate, not who are selfish. That's why I don't like Ayn Rand is the, the cult of selfishness, basically egoism is that it's actually immoral, essentially to care about anybody other than yourself. That is not the kind of branding we should do. That's not the kind of people we should be interested in. Likewise, I do not think that we should try to appeal to people who are afraid of immigrants or who are intimidated by gay people or something like that. That's just bringing a culture into our party that's going to be toxic and make it harder to grow. And those people are always going to be more likely to support policies that are threatening to those people. And that's not the kind of thing that we should be going for. So anybody who even has the inclination to be afraid of immigrants at all, we shouldn't even be trying to appeal to them. Anybody who's afraid of, of gay people at all, we shouldn't even be trying to appeal to them. We should be appealing to people who fundamentally have a vision that they want to help people and create a society that's better for everybody, not just themselves. And thankfully, we have 300 years of historical precedent to look back on and say, look, the systems that have helped people and produced the greatest outcomes, produced the greatest quality of life, incomes, health, lowest infant mortality, best standards of living, all of those things have been those which have embraced free markets the greatest. And so it's very nice that we have that to look back on. There's a whole Twitter account and website called Human Progress that demonstrates that and makes it very clear that, you know, it was the free markets that allowed these things to happen. And so it's, you know, luckily enough, we don't have to sell this fake vision. We have actual historical precedent to say that this is the truth, that what actually helps people, even if it doesn't sound like it's going to help them like the Democratic policies do, or it's just, you know, you give people free stuff. That doesn't work. It creates all kinds of welfare traps and poverty traps and all kinds of things like that. But free market policy actually has a history of producing the greatest outcomes for people. And if we can sell that to to people, then we can show them that if they want to help people and be compassionate, what they really should support is libertarian policy. Okay. Mike. Okay. So, um, 
The first thing I'm going to touch on is how do we get people to consistently vote for things that are not just in their own interest, but in the interests of um, everybody else as well. And I'm just going to start talking because I'm trying to connect two ideas here. Um, but like the first one, the idea that we all have the same liberties, um, that we all um, should have the basic expectation that we're going to live in an ethical world that respects our personal autonomy. Um, that comes from like thinking about things through the lens of principle, right? And I think that uh, the one of the like we, you know, when it, pardon me, my my caffeine buzz is crashing. So Sam, you're gonna have a the second half of this debate is gonna be easier for you than the first half. <laughs> if you start crying, we're here for you. So don't don't feel bad. <laughs> Being able to process a legislative proposal through the lens of principle so that I am not easily manipulated by emotion right. or gen generalization fallacies um, that argue from statistics, right? That comes from thinking about things in a completely different way. And I feel like the public indoctrination has taken us away from the critical thinking, right? So one of the things I think that's so powerful about having libertarians make principles the center of our message is because that's the way we kind of undercut. So like once I kind of internalize those principles and I understand how they work together to um, create the policy ideas and, and then the, the, the independent solutions that are implied by that. Right. In other words, if the, if, if I, if I take this principle that um, confiscating someone else's resources against their will is wrong and I'm able to apply that to taxation to the point where I suddenly realize like, it's not okay to fund anything that way. Right. Then right. Right. I have to backtrack that and go, wow, how are we going to build the freaking roads? I have to actually answer that question right now. Because my principles tell me that the only ethical way to build a road is without stealing money from someone, right? That is a, a significantly more difficult question. Um, and I forgot, oh, I wanted to connect it to another idea. And I lost the other idea. It was something Sam said. Um, it's probably gone. Sometimes my sometimes brain cells die in the middle of a sentence, and that's that does happen. Yeah, brain cells definitely die yeah. in the middle of a sentence. So they, we were going to have a little bit more philosophical uh, back and forth and debates on actual libertarian philosophy. But um, the thing is, without having a having a balance of 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 someone that's more of an anarchist end of, of capitalism, you guys are going to agree like way too much. <laughs> Your disagreement's going to be over whether it's a good thing. Like for example, on pr property, you guys are basically probably going to agree that a state is required to maintain property lines, and it's going to be hard to that it's going to be a discussion yeah, as to whether that's a good, that a good thing. Mike sees it as a bad thing. That, exactly, it becomes a discussion as I, to whether or not I'm it's a not an anarchist whatsoever right so right I, I believe that the state ought to exist to protect people's individual liberties and i consider property rights to be one of those that's obviously a point of contention between mike and i right and so that's that's where and you can respond to that since he said it mike okay so this is a great misconception it's hard to make a blanket statement here because within the the libertarian left there are different ways of languaging property. I tend to argue from Lockean norms, even though that's not traditional left libertarianism, because it's the 
the norms that right libertarians are most comfortable with. So I'm going to avoid completely walking into that trap. And I'm going to simply say that I share with Sam the desire for the individual and the fruits of their labor to remain the autonomous control of that individual. Where we differ is that Sam believes state intervention can help that happen. Right. And I believe that state intervention is making that worse. It is distorting and creating injustices. So I want to liberate property from the state so that it can be protected because it is so important. Right. And you and I would agree on that. Uh, me being an ANCAP slash voluntarist, where our disagreement would come is pretty much the stickiness of the nature of property more than, more, more than anything. Especially land, yes. Right, especially land. Right, exactly. So rather than get into that debate, uh, we will... Um, I, I have... Um, I know I lost my... So what I think I'm going to do now is we had had some questions in the, in the Fakertarians discussion group. Uh, a few of them are... I'll go ahead and ask them, but uh, uh, let me start with the uh, with with some that are actually um, <laughs> good questions. Um, so here's one, and this is more just sort. Of, so uh, the last time Wait, that we stop, I remember my other brain cell came alive. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. This is just probably random, but we can recapture. I think we need to grab back. I heard Sam and I, I get it. Ayn Rand, like she, she went, she had some cool ideas and then she went batshit like off the rails with it. Right. So the idea that altruism is, is the true sin or whatever, like I'm not on board with that, but my only point was that um, I think we can reclaim the rational self-interest narrative because like, is it not in my rational self-interest to live in a world where it like global warning is actually addressed instead of ignored? Right. Like, isn't it in my rational self-interest to live in a community that actually cares for each other instead of letting each other starve and freeze on the street? That's actually something that benefits me. Right. Because I can be more person who actually wants to. If if you're it's, it's kind of a weird thing, because if you're somebody who's interested in the success and health and all that of other people, then it's in self-interest to pursue that because it's something that you want but if you're someone who proudly a bigot which there are definitely people who are it's literally my job to review hate speech online and there are many people who would proudly love to see muslims die gay people be hanged all these kinds of things so in that case no it's not in their self-interest to do what's right for the community it's in their self-interest to you know hate others and make sure that other people live a, live a terrible life so it's it, well that yeah, so I'm not saying to put self-interest back at the center of every narrative to the exclusion of every other. I'm simply saying, saying in the subset of people, because honestly, the Randians are not going away in the Libertarian Party. So uh, to some extent, we have to be able to speak their language. So uh, my only point with that is um, just that it's possible to reclaim that if you just connect it to that broader, like I can't like ultimately live to my own self-actualized potential if the community I'm in is not like structured in a way that every individual, including me, can floor, that's all. Right. Well, I mean, Sorry, our, I, didn't, our, I didn't even know if that was a 
important enough to stop you for, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, when I talk to people about libertarianism, and I, I'm talking a lot about the individual, and I'm talking a lot about self-ownership, they almost, in in without exception, start thinking I'm saying that every man is an island, and that we should only think about ourselves, and that nothing else matters. And kind of like Mike said, that it's, you know, no, it, it part of that whole self-interest, and, 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 you know, part of the whole idea of... of you know, me working out for ultimately for myself and the things that matter the most to me, cooperation is going to be inherent in that because no man is an island. So, so yeah, no, I, I don't think, Sam, I don't think you disagree on that, right? I mean, I. No, but just the idea of some people, I mean, look at like Hoppians, for example, their idea of an, of a, of an idealized society is one where people that they don't like are simply not part of the society. They're physically removed from it. So it's like that. I feel like that narrative only works for people who actually want what I would consider, I imagine only you would consider a good society for people who want one that we would call probably toxic. That narrative doesn't really fly. But I mean, of course, self-interest is always going to be a part of the libertarian message generally. And it's, I feel like we can sell the thing where we're only as free as those who are least free among us, because that could one day be you. So if, if, a, for, if you allow our power to exist, to be tyrannical against somebody, it could one day be turned around and used against you. So that could right. be something that we could sell in that regard to people to, you know, have them oppose that power existing at all. But okay, okay. So here are some of the uh, the questions, and this one is more on this. This is it's actually um, I think it was meant as a joke, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it because why the hell not? Um, it's my show. Um, the so, as we know, in the last uh, at least two election cycles, um, the Libertarian Party has run Gary Johnson, and I, I and uh, I think before that was Bob Barr, right? Was that that was in 08? Was Bob Barr? Yeah. So, so the Libertarian Party seems to have kind of, uh, at least in the last few election cycles, um, it, as as their bannerman, as the you know the person that goes up as the as as their presidential candidate. Um, moderate slash maybe libertarian leaning Republicans who have either quit the party or have quit politics and then come back in. Um, the only, as far as I know, the only libertarian, um, uh, um, uh, legislator on the federal level was, was Ron Paul who got elected as a Republican and then switched to the libertarian party. Um, so there's a history of, of libertarians using, you know, Republicans, either moderate or, or libertarian Republicans. So the question here was, uh, would you vote? And I'm going to start with um, with Sam on this one. Would you vote for a John Kasich, Mitt Romney, Libertarian Party ticket? And if so, why? No, I wouldn't. OK, at least not unless they if they joined the party and underwent a series of transformations over many issues, then Maybe, but not right now. No, absolutely not. Mitt Romney, I don't think is... I always tell people that our goal shouldn't necessarily be people who hold all of the end positions that we want, but people who are phasing in the right direction on virtually every issue. And so somebody like Bill Weld, I think, meets that criteria. Somebody like Mitt Romney... I was going to ask you if, if, if Bill met that criteria. Okay. So so you would say... So so to you, Bill Weld is, is phasing into libertarianism? Yes. Okay. I think I think Bill Weld is the absolute best possible candidate we could run for 2020. I can't think of anybody who would even be a, a remotely comparable alternative in 2020. Okay, Mike, I'll go ahead and ask you the same question. Would you vote for a John Kasich, Mitt Romney libertarian ticket? And then I'm going to definitely need you to address the, the Bill Weld thing. No, 
and no. <laughs> okay, so we'll so just leave it. Bill, <laughs> okay, Bill go ahead. No. Is, Bill Weld is ruling class as fuck, and we should be, if we're going, I, I should have just left it at no and no. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I can relate to the temptation of wanting to live in a world set free so much that you are willing to, you know, accept the unacceptable in the short term for a gain, right? Um, that's just human. And I can relate to the fact that prags are humans too, barely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was the only cheap shot I'll take. Okay. But I really have to question how practical it is to invite somebody who is an insider to the existing political class and make them your standard bearer. I get that he was, you know, a blue governor of a red state or whatever it was, but the point is, I think that we're falling fall short. Like Bill Weld himself is not good at portraying the libertarian vision. He's and that's perfectly fine because, like I said, we shouldn't even be. Did I lose you? Am I still here? No, you're here. You're you're both here. I'm still here. We shouldn't even be focused on the end vision because somebody who's he... working two or three jobs and trying to put food on their kids' table, they they don't have the time to sit around in their smoking room with their fingers on their chin, you know thinking about principles and, and, and where we really you know want to end up one day. It's like they're thinking about how they're going to get food for their family. That's that's the kind of things that we should be really focused on, not, not okay. these lofty end goals. A bartender from the Bronx just got elected to Congress. I think America is ready for working-class politicians. And shame on the Libertarian Party if we don't meet that need. She's not waving dildos around. Well... Maybe she should have. <laughs> and she also is running for president. She's I mean, for representative, and she that that's not the point. So for the for so Sam's made a couple of dildo references, and people who weren't in New Orleans won't know unless they are so wonky that they actually watched footage, like me, yeah, right. Well, just so everyone knows, the dildos were actually performance art. They were making fun of the <laughs> radical caucus. Because the Radical Caucus was using lightsabers as signaling devices. So the red lightsaber meant yes, and the green lightsaber meant no. And we saw this, and this was in 2016 in Orlando. And uh. we were like, well, that's group thick as fuck. Who the fuck tells radicals how to vote on each thing? with these?" Right? So in 2018, and yes, the other part of the you know performance art is to scandalize the prags. Because y'all like lose your minds over a dildo as a right but and so we put a red condom at one end and a green condom on the other and then that was our signaling device and like everyone ignored it because no one's going to vote according to what the dildo t tells you and it's basically making fun of the radicals who are really milk toast prags at this point so yes i understand that it freaked people out but we're kind of back to that whole pushing of the gender norms and 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 you know breaking down ideas about what is acceptable and what counts as political and what count, you know what I'm saying? So, um, I'm not sorry. I think that was, you know, do you, you think know, James I, Weeks I remember, was a good thing for the party? 
oh my God, it was the best thing ever. And you know why? Because you all pushed a ruling class politician on us and you knew what you were doing. Larry Sharp, who was the compromise, radicals even got behind Larry Sharp, right? We begged you to put a fusion ticket and you put Bill Weld there anyway. So I'm sorry, you can cry me a river. I don't care how much it hurts. I hope they play that video in your face over and over and over again for the rest of your life. James Weekes is a hero and you should be thanking him. So you actually, it, but you do you actually think that helped the party in that yes, it will help us be elected? Not just the I culture that get, you want to see, because I know no, that you want you want I, you want to have the culture that you want in society in the party, even though in my opinion that will make it harder to achieve the society that you once that you eventually want to have. So I know that James Week stripping was representative of the kind of culture that you want to have, but was it do you really think that it helps our electoral chances of actually being able to get people in office and get kids out of cages? Yes, I do. How? I think that I think that as long as we were tied to the paleos, we were on a one way track to irrelevance. And by re kind of igniting the bohemian wing energizing us making people so excited i still get messages from people who say i saw that video and i love what you are doing you know who else else the paleos hate this guy oh but here's the thing everyone else hates him too people we hate bill weld so much that we're actually willing to align with paleos yeah, that's that terrible. should tell you something. And you're still marrying to him? What are you thinking? How okay, so I'm worse for allying with Bill Weld than you are for allying with Paleos. Paleos are the the number one, without a doubt, the most most toxic force in the entire liberty movement. They are the biggest anchor to the growth of this party ever. That I can't literally cannot even begin to describe in words what a mistake the Paleo Libertarian strategy was. It's created just a horrifically toxic environment within the culture of the party it's completely you know shut out the vast majority of people from wanting to have anything to do with us especially as america's shift having shifting demographics more people of color more people in the lgbt community they want nothing to do with us because inviting all of the paleos in and telling anybody you know ron paul telling people that anybody who hates the federal government is now a libertarian they brought in all of these toxic homophobic, racist, sexist, misogynist people who created an environment where if I was a, a woman, I would never even consider going to a libertarian convention. You're going to get your, you know, your butt grabbed. You're going to get catcalled. Oh, we've created a, a toxic culture within the party with the Palos, but you're willing to work with them over Bill Weld, even though Bill Weld would drive them out like that. I don't think, I don't think Mike can hear you. Uh, no, I, I hear. I Sorry. Hear no, I my, think. Um, yeah, yeah, we're 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 back up. Go ahead. These things are dying, so I tried to plug my like thing in, and then they disconnected. So, um, but I should be okay. I should have you know, twenty or twenty minutes or so left. Yeah, we're um, good. We're good. So I didn't hear everything that Sam said, but I think it was approximately that we should all worship. Bill Weld because he's the light bringer and no well um, it I, was yeah I think he he said it was um, mainly railing against the paleo libertarian yeah he spent most of the time going against the parties ever oh yeah okay, I did hear that I did hear that part so okay. how, um, is, 
how the paleo-libertarian strategy created such a toxic culture within the party that we've really put ourselves in a terrible position for the shifting demographics of America with more people of color, more LGBT yeah. people, okay. and everything like that. But um, the overall prag narrative is um, sort of like they're able to Trojan horse that. And we see that as recently as Brandon Finney in New Hampshire. How as is recently a prag? As recently. As we, well, that is my question. I don't know. Why are our Prags all, all up in the comments section trying to tell me that the Nazi insignia he was wearing wasn't what it was? What Prag has told you that? Anybody that I would – I would not associate anybody who says that with a – at least not my brand whatsoever. I don't think Brandon Finney is good for the party. That insignia – you know, greatly concerned me. I, I've had arguments with him in the past. I think he's very much – emblematic of the paleo group within the libertarian party not the prags well i mean i'm not gonna name individual names and throw individual people on under the bus and you know i only named brandon because he's literally a sitting legislator or at least he will be for he will, yeah for he very will short january yeah short yeah till january right so um you know he's fair game but go up in those comments and you'll see people that you would not expect to be defending that and the intersection they're defending is because he's a sitting politician and should be beyond reproach. I don't right? think that's the case at all. I yes, think so we, we should, should all be thanking him. We have so few libertarian politicians and this and this and that. And how dare a grassroots person and who do you think you are? That's the and, kind of that I get all the time too whenever I criticize you know, any anybody in the party, anybody who's, well, you know, look, they've done so much work for the party. What have you done that it, everybody is considered beyond criticism? Who's done any, no. what, you know, what, when's the last time you knocked on doors? Well, it's like, I don't need to do that. It's, it's like telling somebody that, you know, they're bad at something doesn't necessarily mean that you're better at it or that you've done anything. It's just, I, I'm capable of identifying where I think people are hurting the party and it. Yeah. You know. Okay. So feeding back into that whole, that whole question. So, uh, Sam, you said that your, your ideal can it was that. So if you could pick anyone to be the next libertarian presidential candidate in 2020, it would be Bill Weld. Am I correct? Yes. And that does not mean that Bill Weld represents my end vision of where I want the country to be. He's not the most libertarian candidate. I don't, his platform is not my ideal, but yes, as the candidate to run for office in 2020 for the presidential ticket i cannot think of literally anybody who would be a better choice than bill weld and that's not even necessarily such a fantastically glowing praise of weld it's just that we don't have a lot of options okay okay so mike who would your if you had to pick one person if you're even comfortable doing that who would you say is your ideal candidate uh for for president all right so she's gonna kill me for saying her name live on the air but i think angela keaton would make a great fusion candidate she comes from the right libertarian past present she has the perfect anti-war cred to unite anarchists all across the bottom and uh she has you know she's edgy but she also carries herself in a professional manner and she knows how to speak she does not back down and she understands why a libertarian should never support a career politician over an actual libertarian so that's your way of saying she has no elected experience whatsoever. 
I'm saying that elected experience is a liability in a corrupt nation where all of the politicians, except for the working class person from the Bronx that hasn't had, you know, hasn't sat in there for a single day yet and hasn't been corrupted, you know, yeah, that's a liability. And so uh, that's a good thing. People don't trust people with no experience. If, if I want electrical work done, I'm going to hire an electrician. If I need plumbing done, I'm going to hire a plumber. If I want political savvy, I want a politician. I, I want somebody who knows how to, you know, or a bartender from the Bronx. Why we is she an example? She hasn't even taken office yet, and she's, she's an ex- representative, not president. She is a living counterexample. So a very minor one. So counterpoint that should piss both of you guys off. Um, our current president is a guy that didn't have any political experience, and I, I think will equally anger both of you that I said that. I'm, so. I'm sorry. I'm I got a battery warning from my thing, and it, no, I just I was just um, so I I made a little bit of a counterpoint that I said I think will probably anger both of you is that um, our current sitting president is a guy that had no previous electoral elected experience. So that doesn't anger me um, as much. It, it angers me that he exists and that human beings <laughs> actually thought that that was a good idea. Right. But it does. I'm glad you bring that up. I think American voters in general are not into career politicians anymore. And the only reason they keep trusting them is because they don't see very many other options being presented to them that they can trust. Right. So I don't know. I think we should. That's really all we have. Libertarians are not career politicians. None of us are. We're having to recruit those from statist camps. We have, you know, professional anarchists like Angela Keaton. What is a professional anarchist? That's not even a thing. It's totally a thing. That's... It is totally a thing. <laughs> if if somebody opens up their voter pamphlet on, you know, November 4th, and sees professional anarchists listed as professional experience, they're never going to vote for that person. They're going to laugh at it. They're going to take pictures of it, put it on Twitter, and they're going to say, lol, the Libertarian Party is so ridiculous, I can't believe anybody votes for them. I mean, you might not, but less than half of people even vote. How do we know what's going to energize the rest of them? Obviously, you don't, or they would have voted for Bill Weld. And I know that... Josh has so Josh is here in spirit too because I know he feels that exact same way that everybody who doesn't vote is just you know sitting on their hands just looking at the sky looking for the dream candidate to come and sweep them off of their feet and inspire them to go to the polls that's not the people who don't vote that's not why they're not voting they don't vote because they're at work on election day they don't care they don't see how politics affects them they don't think their vote counts for anything it's not because they haven't they've yet to be inspired Inspired by a candidate. That's that's not why people aren't voting. Why did you vote for the first time? Because I thought that everybody should vote. I was raised with the faith in liberal democratic values. Holy shit. So you acted from principle? If you want, I, I wouldn't call that principle really in the way that you mean it. Okay, so uh, so right. yeah, so next question, um, and uh, this is kind of a strategy thing too, and uh, you guys may agree on this. I'm not sure. So we all know about the the concept of bottom unity that it's sort of a horizontal thing that it's irrespective. Electrical work done. Hold on. Can you? 
Are you getting echoed now? Yeah, I'm. I'm we're getting I'm the, the playback say, from. I'm you're hearing yourself that. say. We're hearing Sam say that you hire electricians. Hold on, for... I'm having. Hold on. I'm sorry. I gotta switch over. These things just died. I gotta do something. Hold on. Okay, no problem. Um, can can you still hear us? Okay, he can't still hear us. Yes, not. Okay, so I'm just gonna talk about what bottom unity is kind of a, a broad stroke to give him time to, to, to get plugged back in. But bottom unity is kind of this idea of sort of a horizontal leaderless movement of libertarians across the prism of, of, you know, libertarian ideologies, uh, irrespective of, you know, the left or right, but the idea that everyone can, you know, and bottom, bottom unity, meaning from the, the bottom part of the, um, uh, of the, the the political compass that everyone that is in that bottom part in the libertarian camp um you know should be able to to unify around the idea of electing libertarian candidates um and so um i will let you start because i think i might still can't hear us yeah okay i can now but you, okay are you are you getting an echo none no none at all all right then Okay. I've got it on my main speakers now. So if you do start getting an echo, let me know. Yeah, you sound fine. You actually sound exactly the same as you did before. Um, so my qu- my question is, um, so or actually uh, Jeff's question was, uh, with bottom unity, why do you think it is great or or awful? And I'll let I had Sam start the last one, so I'll ask Mike on this one. Why do you think that bottom unity is great or awful? So one thing. Let me rephrase it. For a long time, because of paleo-libertarianism and because of Rothbard's attempt to sort of revise what it meant to be anarchist and repackage that as a form of capitalism, it had the effect of driving anarchist, social, social, social anarchists and other types of left libertarians away from a party bearing the name of their ideology. So there is a huge population of libertarians that already exist and don't even need to be persuaded that the state is a bad idea. They already believe in anti-statism. All we have to do is let them know that they are welcome among us, right? So that is the number one most beautiful thing about bottom unity is that it's actually – it's sort of like – um, it's almost like the prag narrative applied to anarchism. It's saying, okay, we all believe in you know getting rid of the state, so let's work together to dismantle it. Um, the other beautiful thing about that is that um, actually a coalition of anarchists that broad can um, actually outnumber the people that are trying to push career politicians on us. And I think that if we are able to successfully do that for, say, another decade or two, it might buy us enough time to actually set the world. I think the way it is right now, we've already had Bob Barr, Gary Johnson twice, and now we're about to potentially get Bill Weld. And I think that if we don't have an infusion of anarchists like immediately who can actually stop that, then um, we might as well, those of us who actually identify as principled libertarians, um, you know, I don't want to say we, we might as well leave because, like, I still believe in the party. And, you know, as long as I still keep seeing um, progress toward a more principled party, then I'm going to keep believing in it and I'm going to keep working towards it. But, like, ultimately, this trend towards career politicians, like, it has to go. And, 
I, the only way I see doing that is really like igniting a coalition of anarchists big enough to outnumber them. Like that's just how politics works. It's a numbers game. Let me just ask you something. Do you, 2020, would you rather have President Trump second term, President Kamala Harris, or President Bill Weld? Among those options, which would you like to have? I mean, does it freak you out that I'm Googling Kamala Harris? <laughs> California senator. Yeah, she's a senator from California. From what I know, she's she, just a platform Democrat. Is she a corporate Democrat or a progressive Democrat? I think she likes to brand herself as the latter, but I would probably edge more toward the former. Hmm. Um, I'm not going to fall into the trap of answering your question. If that was on my ballot, I would vote for none of the above because I do not perceive Bill Weld as... If a, one was going to happen, I'm not even asking about voting, one one of them is going to happen, it's not going to be somebody else, it's going to be one of those three, which would you like it to be? Even then, if you vote for none of them, you could ultimately have a preference which one you would like to see win. I did not vote for Trump or Hillary, I voted for Gary Johnson, but I still wanted Hillary to win if it was going to be one of those two. So what's with that in mind, between those three, who would you like to see win, even if you would not vote for any of them? I'm Googling Kamala Harris just to be like a contrarian. <laughs> and if I you, like, like what it I have to be, do you know who Kirsten Gillibrand is or Amy Klobuchar or Cory Booker, any of those? No, I can never, no, I'm not going to say a Democrat, but I'm not going to say Bill Weld either. Like, I'm not going to give you that satisfaction. So what, that leaves Trump then? You want Trump? No, I, no matter who it is, I will apply the same critique to them that I would cr cr critique that I would apply to any ruling class politician. Do you think it would be good for the country if Bill Weld, rather than a Kamala Harris or a Cory Booker or an Amy Klobuchar or a Kirsten Gillibrand or a Donald Trump, Donald won, Trump do you right. think it would be good for the country if Bill Weld were to win an election over those? Would it be, good, know for where, it be good for the Here's country? where we're at right now. We are at a place where Hillary Clinton would have been better. Yes, we are. Hillary Clinton. So... I'm not really into your I just I'm not going to answer that question. That's not a fair question. I'll, I'll ask it I'll ask it a, a, a little bit different way and and you may not want to answer this either. Do you think Bill Weld is better or worse than say Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton? Literally how is that even a question? How well, here's I what I think. I think that if the Libertarian Party is full of principled people who stand on principle and who hold our uh, politicians accountable to principle, then we don't have to worry so much about who our politicians are because they won't have the cover to advance statist ideas in our name. But what I see happening is in the name of winning, people are creating that cover for politicians like Bill Weld. And that's what's so worrisome. We're bringing in large numbers of people who do not speak or act from a place of principle. And then we're letting those be the people that manufacture the majority so that we could say, look, Bill Weld was better. And we're on a slippery slope and we're like near like, like we're really like down near the bottom. And like I want off the slippery slope. I don't want to just like scramble up a little bit and start sliding again. And I think that's what's going to happen if we fall into this trap of, of, of looking to career politicians as our saviors. Would you rather 
Bill Weld win the presidency under the libertarian ticket, or we run an anarchist that gets 1.4% of the vote. An anarchist that gets 1.4% of the vote and actually connects with people. Say it. Say it means Trump winning re-election. You can either have Trump win re-election. Bill Weld is not going to win. Bill Weld is so boring. He is so boring. I can't even. This is like the news that Bill Weld is going to run. It should strike you just as much, just the same way the news that Hillary Clinton 4.0 is coming back. It should re. Yeah, in 2020. Yeah. Like with the same like ridicule and humiliation and just pure like laughter that should make you laugh so hard. Okay, here you're gonna love Let's this. Stop. You're gonna love this. I think that what you're saying right now comes from a position of privilege that you value excitement over taking steps toward liberty. A president Bill Weld would mean fewer kids in cages would mean fewer people in prison for minor drug offenses but you don't value that in these people's lives you value excitement it doesn't excite you so it's not important even though it, even though a president bill would, would lead to the improvement of millions of people's lives across the country and the advancement of liberty you don't actually value that and i think the fact that you don't value the actual strides toward liberty over some value of excitement is an incredibly position privilege honestly Okay, Sam, you told us all on this podcast that it didn't matter who was president because they wouldn't be able to even move the needle 5%. I I did not say it doesn't matter who it is. I said as long as they're facing in the right direction on every issue, it doesn't matter who it is. So it doesn't really matter if it's, you know, an anarchist or a minarchist or a Bill Weld or a Jeff Flake. Within that spectrum, it doesn't matter. It does matter if it's a Bill Weld or a Donald Trump because Trump is facing in the wrong direction on probably every single issue that you could think of from a libertarian standpoint. So are you telling me that Bill Weld and an anarchist are looking in the same direction? Yes. Okay. Then why can't we run an anarchist? Because they can't win. You can either run an anarchist and get 1% of the vote, or you can run Bill Weld. And I mean, he's probably not. Oh, we lost Sam. Oh, it was we just getting Sam, right as he said that Bill Weld wasn't going to win. Um, here, let me see if that same thing works again where I where I put him back in. Um, okay, so and while I'm doing this, uh, Joshua Smith has spoken to us from his sickbed uh, in the comments. He put up the um, he put up the ticket uh, of. I still have Mike, please. Oh no. I don't have Mike. So I'm as I'm calling these guys back. Oh no, I need to join the call now. Cause I've been So Joshua Smith put up Patrick for his um do I have you both of you guys or just Mike? I have Mike. Um you froze up for a minute. Okay. I can hear you again now. Alright, I have Mike and not sh- do not have Sam. Let me get Sam. Um, and add him. So, um, so yeah, we got, we'll see. I don't think we have Sam or we do have Sam. Yeah. we Skype got wonky on us. So, um, hold on one second guys. Sorry. That's you there. And then Sam. Yeah, we don't have Sam. Um, 
All right. So, yeah. So, uh, and I'll get your, your thoughts on this. Uh, um, uh, Joshua Smith put up a, a ticket for 2020 of Patrick uh, Byrne, I think his name is, Byrne, the, the founder of Overstock.com and Larry Sharp for 2020. So I, I don't know much about Patrick Byrne's politics. I don't know if you do. What, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, and um, I'm not getting your. I'm not sure what happened here, but I'm not getting your. I'm not getting your feed anymore. I'm getting you. I can hear you on Skype, but no one else can hear you, and I'm not sure why that is. Um. So. And we don't have Sam, so I think so. Skype is not cooperating with us anymore. So I only had one other question, which is whether or not anyone thinks pineapple is an acceptable pizza topping. Um, I will get uh, both of your thoughts on that, and then I was going to wrap up. So I think I'm just going to go ahead and wrap up. Um, Mike, if you can just stay on for one second, um, I'm just going to wrap things up. So guys, thank you again uh, for joining us tonight at My Fellow Americans. Um, we will try to reschedule to have uh, all to have uh, Joshua on here as well, so we can have a, somewhat of a more complete philosophical debate. Uh, than, than we were able to have today. But thank you again for joining us. Uh, join us tomorrow. Uh, our, my co-host, uh, Matt Wright, will be on the Writer's Block, his show. He'll be interviewing Nick Tumbalidis of U.S. Term Limits. And then join us again on uh, Tuesday uh, for, um, for the Muddy Waters of Freedom. And we will be discussing the news that has happened that week. Um, so thank you guys again for tuning in, and God bless you.